Before I get started here, could I invite you to pray for me about something? Um, tomorrow, I fly to Grand Prairie for three days to uh, share some meetings of sort of the board that oversees all the churches here in our province, 140 churches. And in the last year and a half, we've been doing a major study of everything we do as a group of churches. And it's going to mean huge, far-reaching changes for how we do church in terms of just affecting lots of people. And so we're just entering into this uh, with just the desire to hear from God. And so would you, I just invite you to pray for me as I chair those meetings. I'd appreciate that very much. It's more important, I believe, to allow God to help me become the right person than it is for me to choose the right person when I'm heading into a dating relationship or into marriage. Now, it's important to choose well, but more important than that is to say, God, what do you want to do in my life as I'm heading into these things? What do you want me to become? This is the key idea. And the Song of Songs, the series that we're in right now called Retune, I think addresses this. And the idea and one of the things I believe about this book is that it makes a statement about the redemption of sex and sexuality and marriage that we really messed up in Genesis chapter 3. And that because of Christ, a good relationship and a vibrant, healthy sex life is entirely possible in the marriage relationship this side of heaven. Like I said last week, not perfect like it was in Genesis 2 because of our sinful nature and the choices we make, but a good relationship because of Christ, a vibrant, healthy sex life that we kind of tarnished in the garden. It's entirely possible now because of Christ. And this is so very important because so many people in our world live with a great deal of shame in this area and are just engaged in just some really unhealthy, broken sexual practices. So the last couple of weeks, we've talked about attraction and we've said, God, how do you want to position me so that I'm sort of drawing to me, if I'm going to head into a dating relationship or into marriage, uh, and attract people that sort of have the same kind of values that I want to be on, have on display in and through my life, and that you would sort of uh, fine-tune my thinking and sort of my perception, so I'm recognizing these things in other people as well, and, and I see that they're the kind of person that's a lifestyle biblical believer, not just a cultural believer. And so, Lord, how, what kind of things do you want to do in my life to attract? And today we're going to talk about pursuing. How do we pursue a potential spouse? Or if we're already married, how do we actually pursue our spouse? And we're going to talk about, and we're going to see in the text, the different seasons that we can move through potentially in this pursuit. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Song of Songs chapter 2. And we're going to be talking today, and the title is Close To, that way too many people in our world settle for close by, not close to. And there's a world of difference between close to and close by. And so let's read about this 
in Song of Songs, which is found basically in the middle of your Bible, uh, to the right of Psalms, to the left of Isaiah and Jeremiah, little book with eight chapters in it, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 2. And you'll recall that this is uh, uh, a series of talks between Solomon and the Shulamite bride, his young bride. And she says this to him in verse 8, Listen, my lover, look. Here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Then he responds to her and he says, My dove is in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. She says back to him, my lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my lover, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. How do we pursue, if we're heading into or anticipating heading into a, a dating relationship or we're, we're married already, how do we pursue that kind of relationship in a way that honors God, that brings great joy in life, and as you will often hear me say, is the really the best way to do life through the seasons of life. So let's talk about the first season, and the first one is uh, the season of preparation. The season of preparation. And as we talk about this, remember that this, these eight chapters, I'm presuming, is a series of about 23 love poems between Solomon and the Shulamite and their friends that are making observations about their relationship. And they're likely young when this took place. They're likely, and, and it, at different points in the book, they're either, I'm going to argue, on the precipice of marriage or they're newly married. And so there's this series of, of, of uh, love poems between them. And so for those that are here that are, are heading perhaps one day towards married, marriage and you're not yet married, or perhaps you were married and you're not married now for whatever reason, but maybe one day you will be, let's talk a little bit about a season of preparation. And let's read verses 11 and 12 again. Listen to this season of preparation. She says, see, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The passage of time is taking place. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. Now, we're all hoping that spring, I know the official date is coming very soon, but we're really hoping that it's actual spring and not winter. But we know that winter can often be seen as a time of preparation for what is to come. And so for some of us here, 
that would like to be in a relationship or we sense that that's God's direction for our life. And as I always say, if you're here and, and you're a single person, understand clearly that God loves you and values you, that the scripture honors you, and that this is, this is a good place to be in. Okay, so I'm, I'm not in any way diminishing that in any sense. But if you're at the place where you're thinking one day God is going to lead me into a relationship or I'm in a relationship or when you're kind of at that ragged edge there or whatever, don't miss or neglect God's preparatory work right now during this season of your life, which in these verses is described as winter. And so there could be a number of things that he's wanting to process in your life or when I was in that season in my life. And maybe one of them is, is that he wants to heal you from some hurts in your past. And maybe you were in a marriage or in a relationship where you were wronged or you were betrayed or you were abused in some way. And he's saying, let me help you process healthy forgiveness. Because if you try to go into a relationship without having processed forgiveness, it's going to cast a shadow over the relationship. It'll be increasingly hard for you to trust. And it's going to make the relationship less than you would really hope for it to be. Maybe spiritually speaking during this season, uh, you just, frankly, you need to mature. Uh, maybe, um, you know, you have a relationship with Jesus that's growing, but it, at this point, it's just not strong enough to have a really healthy relationship with this other person the way God intends to be. And so he's just saying, give me some time to, to bring growing maturity and depth in your life so that um, that'll just stand you in good stead when you start dating later on. Maybe practically speaking as well, and let me just be fairly blunt with these comments, maybe you're at a stage in life where you just need to grow up some more where you need to learn and you, to make that car payment on time. And maybe you just need to be learned how to, what it means to be more responsible financially. Because if you carry those kind of habits into a relationship, it will cause fireworks. Maybe you need to learn what it means to just really finish your homework for school and get it in uh, doing the best you can and get it in on time. Maybe you need, if you're a working person, to learn to show up on time for work and to have an attitude of, of an owner rather than a hireling. Maybe, and again, I'm going to be real blunt here, maybe you just need to learn to, to wash your clothes more often and put on deodorant and comb your hair and, and stand up straight. And God is saying, listen, I love you. And I really do want what's best for you. So let me build some of these things, some of these life lessons into you because it'll just help develop the relationship better. And, uh, you know, I think some of us that are married here could learn some of those lessons too. Maybe uh, in the time of preparation, you could say, I am just going to set aside some time to really dive, not in a surfacey kind of way, I'm going to dive really deep into what the scripture has to say about what a healthy marriage looks like. 
I'm going to go out and I'm going to read some really good books on dating and on relationship and on marriage. I'm going to be watching for people in my life that I'm going, man, they seem to have a really healthy dating relationship or a really healthy marriage. I bet I could take them for coffee and I could say, would you help me? You know, I've noticed some really good things in your relationship. Would you, would you tell me what are some of the... What's the secret sauce that helps you have a healthy relationship? What are some of the lessons you've learned? And I think you'll find that many people are just, they're open to help. And so say, I am in, in this season of life, I am going to embrace the season. I'm going to embrace this season, and I'm going to say, Lord, I'm just willing for you to just do some developmental work in my life. And, and again, if we're married, there might be some real developmental work that he needs to do in, in my life and in our life as well in those areas. And so embrace the season. Embrace the season, that season of preparation. And then as the relationship sort of launches, um, and this doesn't happen with everyone, but it, it happens pretty frequently. You might call it the season of infatuation. And, and you come across this person, and you're just drawn to them, and they're drawn to you. And there's a season you enter into where that person is just perfect. They are perfect, perfect, perfect in every way. Every love song you hear on the radio, this person that I care about, I'm growing to like, I'm growing to love, they epitomize all the lyrics of every love song I've ever heard. When I walk into Shoppers Drug Mart, I go to the card section. I want to buy every one of the cards on relationship and give one of them to them every day of the week because they are just perfect. And that could be what's going on in verses 8 to 10. Listen to what she says. Listen, my lover. Look, here he comes. He's running. He's at the end of the day or whatever. He's done what he has to do. And he's coming, we're going to see in verse 10, to take her out, I think, on a date. And he comes leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands. behind, And he's so excited to see her. He's running to see her. She's excited to see him. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice work. And so it's not that they're, it's, he's not doing some creepy thing here. They're playing peekaboo. She likes it. They're glaring. They're, they're playing peekaboo through the lattice work. And they're excited to get together. And he says to her in verse 10, my lover spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. Let's go out on a date. Let's go and spend some time together because the world is a perfect place because you're part of my life, because you uh, are absolutely, you know, the cat's meow. And you may have a season like this. Many people do. My understanding, I did a little reading on this, is that this kind of emotion, this kind of season will typically last anywhere from one day to six months. Sometimes it can last upwards of two years, but there's usually, well, I'm going to say always, a cutoff or expiration day on that season of infatuation. And during this time, we're, we're very tempted to think the relationship could, it just could never be any better than it currently is during the series of infatuation. Let me say to you, as wonderful as that is, and I'm not 
I'm not demeaning that at all. As wonderful as that season of infatuation is, let me suggest to you that the relationship actually can get way better than that. During infatuation, which typically is quite emotion-centered, typically at that beginning time there isn't a ton of depth in the relationship. There isn't a lot of real, what we would call real commitment and real sacrificial love where you choose to love that person despite their shortcomings. And when the infatuation starts to fade, with God's help we begin to choose to love them knowing, you know what, they're a really good person but actually they're not perfect. I've discovered this about them. And I've discovered some things about me that's not so perfect either. But I am going to, with God's help, choose to love them. I'm going to learn what it means in real life and in real terms to lay down my life for them. I'm going to choose to serve them. I'm going to choose with God's help to cherish them, to honor them. I'm going to choose to go with them through the good times and the difficult hard times that I will have with them at points. And I'm going to choose to forgive them when they don't deserve it. I'm going to choose to earn their trust. And what you'll discover when you begin to say, God, would you help me? Would you fill me with your spirit and help me to make these kind of choices? You're going to find, as wonderful as the era of infatuation was, God will help you build something infinitely better than infatuation. See, I think this is one of the reasons for divorce. Not, not the only reason. There's lots of reasons for it. But one of the factors is that when it gets hard in a relationship, which it does at points in any relationship, there's some bumps, we have this idea, and many people promote this kind of idea, that the time of infatuation is going to be an unending time that never goes away. And then we begin to hear comments like, well, I don't know if I ever really loved them. And it's, you know, we've lost the spark. We've lost the magic. And that's because, in some cases, people have said, I'm not willing to make the sacrifices and the commitment and the choices to move on to the better stuff. I wanted to settle for only the infatuation. And now I'm a little disillusioned because that's faded over time. And I'm really not ready to sort of dig deep into these ideas of, like it says in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then later it says to the man, give yourself up for her like Christ did the church. That's a, big, that's a big call. That's not the kind of call we do in our own strength. To say that I, I want a marriage, I want to make the kind of commitments, I want to make the kind of choices that three, through the thick and thin times of this relationship, it's not just going to survive, it's going to thrive, even though there's going to be bumps. Now let me just, let me give you a couple of words of advice if you're in the infatuation stage, and, and I take these three ideas from a guy named Craig Crochelle, 
in, in the time, if you're in the time of infatuation, you know, you're in month four or whatever, limit your time, limit your talk, limit your touch. Limit your time, your talk, your touch. So what do I mean by that? Time. The real temptation that many people succumb to during the time of infatuation is to abandon their friends. They've had this great relationship with a number of people, supportive people, helpful people, people that will pray for them, people that will be there and, and build into their life, people that will actually have the courage to speak the truth to them in a loving way. And now this person, another person comes into their life and they begin to date this person and it's very tempting to just put all those people on the shelf and spend all of my time with this new person and ignore these important people in my life. I'm going to argue that having a healthy, successful relationship, the chances of that are much greater if you're based in a spiritual, supportive community. Don't marginalize your friends. Talk. Um, you want to talk to one another, but what I'm talking about here is that on the second date, and we're going to go, I would never do this, but it's amazing how many people do these kind of things. On the second date, you're saying to this, this person, you're the one for me. Uh, you know, this is my best side for when we're getting our wedding pictures done. I'm planning that we're going to have four kids together. How many kids do you want to have? And people do this kind of stuff. They, they, they put too much pressure too soon on the relationship. And they haven't built a strong foundation first. And this, of course, can send that other person running, screaming into the night if you're not careful. Give time to build a healthy friendship, relationship, spiritual relationship together. And, and certainly share about yourself, but in reasonable doses. And then touch this is the kind of thing, because you're going to, if you're in a dating relationship, you're going to have some level of sexual, of, of, of physical expression, okay? So this is the kind of thing to prayerfully say before you get into the relationship, Lord, what, what, what's a healthy limit of physical expression? Because I don't want to end up going to a place sexually that God has not designed us to go to yet that he doesn't want us to go to yet. And so, Lord, what would be a healthy level? You know, should I just hold hands with this person? Should we, you know, maybe we'll kiss or something? Is that okay? Or what is okay? Because I want to be careful. Limit the amount of alone time together. You want to spend some time alone, absolutely. But if you knew how many times I've sat with people, and they'll say, you know, something like this to me, well, you know, I don't know how it happened. Scott, we ended up sleeping together because, you know, and I'd say, well, well how are you spending your time together? Well, we would, we would uh, spend the entire evening together over at her place and we would have nothing planned to do. And somehow this just happened. And see, I would encourage you not to make those kind of choices. Think, think through where this might logically and reasonably go if I put myself in that kind of environment. Limit the touch. Limit the touch. Whether you're dating, let's, let's keep moving on. Whether you're dating or married, next, pursue intimacy. And this is something that a lot of people 
misunderstand. But let's read what he says in verse 14. Let me, before I read it, just be reminded that in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, she's concerned about her physical appearance, and this manifests in this insecurity, don't stare at me. And, and so here in verse 14, she's sort of standing in the shadows. And here's what he says to her. My dove, verse 14, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places of the mountainside. So she's kind of tucked away. He says to her, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Intimacy. He's inviting intimacy with her. Now, a lot of people think that intimacy is almost exclusively and all about romance and sex. And when you have this kind of view, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute, you're approaching the relationship from a close-by perspective rather than a close-to perspective. As long as I'm close-by them, even if it's we're having sex together as husband and wife, as long as we're close-by, that's good enough. God would invite us to be close-to real intimacy or close-to relationship The simplest way to put it is just simple transparency. It's saying, I want this person to come into my world, and I want to go into their world. I want to let down my walls of who I am. I want to share who I am. I want to be vulnerable. I want to come out of the shadows. I want them to, you know, let's look at each other face to face. Let's open up and let's have shared experiences where we can... um, Open up who we really are. What's in our heart? What are our dreams? What are our fears? And later on, you might even talk about what are the things that tempt us. And then out of this coming close to, romance and sex becomes more of a byproduct of that kind of intimacy. And it enhances, it's this healthy circle. It enhances the close-to nature of the relationship. Intimacy is what will hold a relationship together. Um, Think back to when you were dating, if you're married. You used to talk an awful lot and talk about yourself, and you were asking questions about them because you were concerned. Debbie and I, when we were in school, we would talk for like an hour on the phone every day. And after marriage, you know, people say, well, life just happens. And so we didn't have time for one another. And I always kind of gently push back and say, no, we make decisions and we make choices. And she and I have not done it perfectly, but we have made many choices in our life over and over again to make time for one another. Where we've gone without things, where we've gone without money, where we've made decisions about which job we would take or not take, what commitments, what things we would be part of, so that the priority of, first of all, my relationship with God, but also my relationship with her, that was cared for. And people, you know, with their children, it's great to have your children involved in things, and our kids were involved in things, but maybe the best thing you could do for your child is rather than have them involved in four extracurricular activities, make it one or two. And that you're going to actually parent them much better by doing that so that you have time for your relationship with God, with your spouse, and with them. And 
being so busy that you have no time for those priorities is not a badge of honor to be proud of. It's really not. We all make choices. So let me just speak generally about men and women. And this is very general, and I'm not even so sure it's very really applicable with Debbie and I. So this, there's lots of exceptions to this, but sometimes, generally speaking, men will tend to focus on the bare minimum facts of a situation, whereas women, generally speaking, lots of exceptions, sometimes will be more, not only the facts, but more into the extended details of a situation. And so if that's the case in your relationship or some um, outworking of that, those postures can create a lack of intimacy, making it difficult to be close to, not just close by. Because one person is pushing for more and more detail for all kinds of stuff, and the other person is reluctant to give that stuff. Not to be a jerk, but that's just not their nature, their go-to nature. And this can cause mutual resentment. And so if you want to be close to that person, not just close by them, begin to ask these questions. Do I know what my partner really needs? Not just how I want to be loved, but how they need to be loved. I'm going to care about that. Is this a good time, knowing who they are, because I've got to know them, is this a good time to talk about this or to enter into this with them, or would it be better a little bit later? How would it be best for them to hear it based on who they really are? And really make the decision to invite the other person into your world and you into their world. And certainly this is something Debbie and I need to continue to work on, but my call is in every season of life, whether you're in the season of preparation, the season of infatuation, or if you're married or whatever the case is, pursue intimacy. And when we keep secrets from one another, it makes it difficult to have the kind of relationship that, that God really wants us to have. And we often, often make the mistake of thinking, if, if I'm just close by someone, that's good enough. There's a big difference between close by and close to. Close by means we share things. We might share the same house. We may ride in the same car. We might sit on the same couch. We might watch the same TV program together at the same time. We might sleep in the same bed and have sex together because we're married. We might have the same toothpaste that we share. But we don't really let each other into each other's life. We watch the television program, but we never talk about how that really touched me or ticked me off or what it meant or what hopes or dreams that maybe brought out in my life. And so we're close by someone when maybe we're even sleeping together, but we're not really close to them. I was just chatting with someone this last week who was saying, just a, a world, in a sense, is opening up to them as they're discovering what this means. To be really close to the person they're married to. Much more than just close by. Close by starts by coming out of the shadows in verse 14, looking that person in the eye, looking at their voice, their face, and hearing their, as he says, hearing, their, what does he say, their lovely voice. Or their, uh, 
Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. It's sweet to my ears. And I'm going to share who I really am with you. We're going to have experiences where we can open up our hearts to each other, share our dreams, share our fears, share our temptations, so we can pray for one another, all of these things. In every season, then, as we keep moving on here, protect our purity. He says this in verse 15. He says this to her. He goes, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. We talked about this a little bit in week one, that the vineyard here is the word they're using to describe their physical body. And they're saying our physical body is in bloom and we're hot for one another. But the fox sneaks in and ruins the vineyard. Set our standards high when it comes to physical expression. If you're not married yet, like I said last week, and I talked about this longer last week, and we're going to talk more about uh, this stuff next week. But let me just say quickly, if I, like I said last week, if you're sleeping together outside of marriage, Understand God has some very, very good reasons for why he says, don't do that. I have another way for you. And really, there's only two choices. The choice to say, I'm going to honor God's call to reserve sexual intercourse for when I'm in a monogamous, covenant, heterosexual relationship in marriage. And there's that choice to say, I'm going to honor God because I believe he knows a little bit more about this than me. And this is what he says to do. And here are the reasons why we talked about last week. Or I can choose to sin. And in my experience, when we choose to ignore or reject his commands, this leads us to experience consequences that we really don't want to experience. Ravi Zacharias says this, every time we break one of God's moral laws, we realize why he put it there in the first place. And when we're alone and it's late at night, and we've broken one of his moral commands, we go, okay, now I'm starting to see why God said what he said. And we may never admit it, but it's rolling around in our mind. So, High standards. So what I'm talking about is, if you're not married, keep everything buttoned, everything zipped, everything latched, everything tied. So we move from the season of preparation to the season of infatuation. We pursue intimacy. We pursue intimacy close to, not just close by. We have protected purity. And then it says, the woman says about their married relationship in 16 and 17, my lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. He's, she's talking about a sexual expression and a sexual position there. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, turn, my lover, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. And she says, as a young bride, she describes this sexual activity in verse 16, and then she says, we are going to have uh, sexual intercourse as husband and wife all night long. And this is the progression God wants, because he wants what's best for us. He wants this sound spiritual friendship and relationship with a vibrant, healthy sex life between husband and wife. And this is how he created it to be. This is the way he wants it to be. 
So if you want to do what many people do, do what many people have done. If, however, you want what fewer people have done, do what fewer people do. Seek Jesus and his way first. Embrace the season you're in and say, I am going to be deeply committed to being close to, and I'm not going to settle for close by.